0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode three of the PCOS Revolution Podcast. I'm so excited today because we have one of my good friends, Deborah Beaumont, who is an advanced practice a registered nurse in Kona, Hawaii. And she's also a two-time cancer survivor. So after her last experience with cancer, which happened to be bilateral breast cancer and multiple complications from treatments, she was very frustrated with conventional medicine and really, you know, got, fed up to the point where she was not satisfied with just taking prescriptions, getting the yearly checkups and hoping for the best and hoping things didn't return. So feeling that there was a need to know more about prevention and making treatment decisions that support having a good quality of life was really what drove her to seek holistic and integrative treatment that complemented the medical advice she was given. So she's now a certified functional medicine practitioner and, and holistic, and integrative health coach, supporting women and empowering them to make treatment decisions, not only in treating cancer, but reclaiming their health and just having an overall awesome quality of life after chemo and after the treatment is done. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you, Deborah, for, for joining us tonight.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you tonight. Although I think it's lighter for you than th- than for me, I'm in Hawaii. I'm five hours behind you.
0: Yeah, Miami <laughs> to Hawaii. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know that this is a our PCOS podcast. So, you wonder why are we talking about cancer? But tell us a little bit about how you think hormones can really uh, relate to this, and why um, this is a good time to talk about this right now. <sighs>
1: Well, I'm so glad you asked, because I think one of the biggest things that I learned going into functional medicine is realizing that hormones affect everything. Hormones affect all aspects of our health, and hormones are at play in most chronic diseases. And I know your specialty is PCOS. My specialty is cancer. But to tell you the truth, there's no way to talk about any of these diseases without talking about the other diseases that are related to hormones. And by definition, that means related to nutrition. Um, there's a very high correlation between having cancer and diabetes. As a matter of fact, three of the top degenerative diseases that people experience are cancer, diabetes, and arthritis. And they've actually proven that if you have one, you're statistically at a greater risk for having one, if not both of the other ones. And that's because they're all chronic degenerative diseases that are intricately linked to our lifestyle, our nutrition and you know what we're eating and how we're eating and the choices that we're making. And I think the very same thing can be said for the women that you work with and for the couples you work with in terms of infertility. It's often hormonally driven, but it really comes back to the same factors of stress, nutrition and lifestyle choices. And that you know, that seems to be the foundation of most of the illnesses and health issues that we're all dealing with.
0: Yeah. And that's so important because we are getting into the holidays, like pretty much smack in the middle of uh, looking at, uh, into December. And I really, um, I really think that we look around and we see all the weight loss information out there. But when we were talking the other day, we mentioned, you mentioned the the emotional connection to weight loss. And I just don't think that that's really addressed as much. So I am with, I know with your clients, you, you have them write a food journal and you say that that's really the, one of the hardest things is writing the, the, the last three days of what you've been eating and why, why is that so important? And why do you think that's so difficult for women?
1: Well, I think it's a number of reasons. I would like to backtrack a little bit and talk about the fact that – I am someone who has dealt with weight and being overweight much of my life. I actually uh, went from being very anorexic as a child to being very overweight. I have tried every diet there is. I've actually tried surgery and gastric surgery. And so this whole issue of how intricately our emotions are tied with our food and tied with dieting is something that's really near and dear to my heart. And once again, it's one of the major factors that that plays a role in cancer, diabetes, PCOS, you know, any of these illnesses, it still comes back to food. And what I find is, and what I feel very strongly, is that most of us have a very distorted relationship with food. I can't really speak for men as much, but I can tell you that almost every woman that I've ever known has been on a life, um, has had a life of cereal dieting, you know, um, really struggling around food, body image. It's so intricately tied to a woman's experience that I think by the time you get to adulthood, most women have tried every diet they can think of and they're on a roller coaster. And the problem is, is that That many times those diets are not based in anything that has to do with your health. You may feel like it's healthy because you might lose weight, but might be missing the boat in terms of nutrition, nutrient value, um, even accepting maybe a little bit more weight than you think you should in your head based on eating a a healthy diet. I just think that women have been so conditioned around food and dieting and body image that they really are disconnected from how food is affecting them and how it's making them feel and i think sometimes it takes getting sick i think it takes getting one of these illnesses where you have to really stop and look at it you you can't just keep doing the same thing and all of a sudden you really have to look at at nutrition and food and really look at it as as medicine and what it's doing to your body and what it's doing in terms of hormones and inflammation and uh, you know gut problems and a lot of other things. And I think sometimes um, it's easy to just kind of glide by that until you get uh, until you struggle with a more serious health problem.
0: So a good question to ask yourself sometimes is, "Am I hungry first of all? <laughs> and then why do I feel like I need this this particular food if it's if it's not good for me?"
1: Well, I think that's really the basis of emotional eating. Um, is um, well, real quickly, I'll tell you. When I was in my twenties, in one of my cycles of, uh, I had gone from being significantly overweight to actually, at that point in time, I was underweight. And um, I found a program called Thin Within, and I went to a workshop. But a lot of the women in the room, they were really angry at me because I didn't look like I had any weight problem, which is actually comedic. Um, but uh, but I was starving myself. I was maintaining my weight by eating one dry salad and a Snickers bar every day and drinking lots of coffee and Diet Coke. That, that, was, my, that was my diet, but I was maintaining a number that I liked on the scale. And Thin Within taught me some things that I... I keep in mind now, and one of the premises of this program was that you could eat whatever you wanted, hence my Snickers bar, Uh, but there were a few rules that were outside what you would consider. The first rule was you had to be physically hungry on a scale of zero to 10, pretty much you had to be a one or a two. Now, that sounds pretty easy, but getting in touch with your body And tuning in and figuring out, am I really hungry or do I just want food, is a really challenging thing for women who have never been in touch with their bodies. The second rule was that you could eat whatever you wanted, but you had to stop when you were no longer hungry. So think about that. Not when you were full, not when you finished, none of those rules. You had to stop when you were no longer hungry. So that meant you had to be paying attention every bite you took and ask yourself the question, am I full or am I no longer hungry? And sometimes, like, you know, for me, I remember one day I I worked nights, which is also another stressful lifestyle factor that didn't help me in terms of battling cancer. But I, um, it was like 6 in the morning. I had worked all night. It was the end of my day, and I wanted a patty melt. And I had waited all night for the cafeteria to open to go get my patty melt, which I did. So by that time, I hadn't eaten all night, so I could really confidently say that, yes, I was like a 1 on my 0 to 10 scale. But that question about am I no longer full became a challenge because I took two bites and then in all honesty had to sit there and say, I'm no longer hungry. And by the rules, that was when I needed to stop. And I just remember just just staring at this thing I had waited for all night and just wanting to cry. I, I mean, that may sound crazy, but I mean, I think that's a really great example of the emotional connection we have to food. So many times, it's not about whether we're hungry. It's about we're eating to change our mood, to feel better, to deal with a feeling that we're not Used to, or that we're not comfortable with, or we just tune out. We just we eat because of um, habit, uh, because it tastes good, uh, for any number of reasons that really aren't connected to our physical experience of hunger. And I think that that becomes really important around the holidays, because all too often you're going to these office parties uh, with a lot of savory food, or you're going to a family's house, or there's expectation, or your mother makes a certain dish that everyone eats, and everyone's just going to be so upset if you don't eat that. It has nothing to do with whether you want it, whether or not you like it whether or not it would even taste good when you eat it it's just expectation and i think the holidays are the worst time of year for that to it really even if you're you know very conscientious the rest of the year i think the holidays being around family you know being around you know loaded emotions because not all Family get-togethers are roses and sunshine. It's, it's very challenging for a lot of people. There's a definite increase in depression and anxiety around the holidays, a definite increase in stress. And those are all conditions that set someone up to really automatically go to comfort foods, feeling like, I need this to get through, or I need this, or this is what I always do. And I think it takes a great deal to really challenge that and be conscious about that. I don't think that we're taught to be conscious around food and That's our choices a great, around great food.
0: Point because that really gives a whole new meaning to mindfulness with eating, <laughs> to really to really figure it out. Exactly. Say, Am I eating this because uh, you know my aunt wants me to eat it, and she'll get her feelings hurt if I don't eat it, or you know there there's other reasons going on, or it's just something that my go-to food, my comfort food when I was growing up, and you know this is this is my ice cream Sunday or. Anything like that? Um, so, what's there's a lot, a lot of things that go beyond just uh, cravings. I think when we look at this.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I would challenge many people. I know that people really struggle with cravings, and I would challenge people to really, once again, step back and really sit with that feeling, even if it's uncomfortable, and really think: Is this a physical craving? Because if it's a physical craving, you may, you know, like, uh, people don't know this, but sometimes when you're craving chocolate, I mean, truly, a physical craving, I, I actually had somebody describe this recently, and I thought this was great. They said, if in their experience, if you're craving a certain food, like lasagna with a certain amount of cheese, and this and that, if you're craving a certain food, it's more often psychological or emotional. If you're craving a class of food... Um, like something sweet or something sour, that that's more often indicative of of a physical craving and maybe an electrolyte imbalance. So even if it's like chocolate, uh, there's a great deal of magnesium and antioxidants in chocolate. So you can actually be craving chocolate when you're actually deficient in magnesium, and it it doesn't mean that you know you um are out of control or you know that you can't handle yourself. But sometimes people can't tell the difference if they're not particularly conscious about how, how and when and why yeah, they eat.
0: That I would be guilty of that chocolate craving as well. So maybe I do need to check my magnesium. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I think one of the best ways in general to deal with some of these issues and certainly to deal with cravings, I think the best way is to really make sure that you're eating well, you know, that you're eating good food that has um, a good amount of nutrients in it, and even taking uh, targeted supplements. I mean, most people, even if they eat quote-unquote a a perfect diet, are deficient in things like magnesium, oftentimes potassium, uh, vitamin D. This is a time of year where we're spending less time outdoors and we can start having some uh, imbalances. people, particularly people who live in um, like the Northeast or areas where it's not as sunny, which wouldn't really apply to you and I so much. Um, But uh, there's a real vitamin D deficiency. So one of the ways to deal with this is to really, you know, pay attention to your nutrition and your supplementation, to be eating regularly, to make sure that you're staying hydrated. Um, People don't know, but they do get dehydrated in cold weather. It's not just in hot weather. And all of those things are kind of like a foundation to kind of pay attention to um, before you just assume that you're out of control and, you know, just give it up until February when the holidays are over.
0: Um, patients that we test for vitamin D deficiency, even in Florida, are very deficient. So it's the UV uh, coating on the windows and in the cars and where slathering on the sunscreen and, you know, just really avoiding the UV light, which is beneficial in so many ways for our skin, but also our body suffers. I mean, we, we have to supplement with uh, vitamin D3. And for PCOS, it's so crucial. It has so much uh, so much benefit. I guess we're getting a little bit off subject, but I just, Thought, you know what? I, I wanted to bring up the emotional eating aspect of this because we're going to go through some diets that would be, you know, I guess I don't even want to say diets, but basically like some, you know, plans that might be good for PCOS and beneficial. We all we all know that low carb is is usually our, our mantra, but I just wanted to get your opinion on a few um, kind of pop more popular diets out there, like the keto uh, ketogenic plan, and just what your thoughts are on that before we kind of recap about emotional eating and that sort of thing.
1: Well, when it comes to diets in general, uh, I'll tell you that I find that most people don't really – uh, they don't know a lot about nutrition. And, and um, you know, through no fault of their own, there's a lot of misleading advertising. But um, they also don't know about diets. Most people, what they know about nutrition and diet is through a lens of weight loss. And so they're often following a diet that, you know, their sister followed or a good friend or they read a book or saw it on a magazine, that's where most people get the idea of what diet they should follow. It's not based on their health. And I have to, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-doctor, believe me. I, I don't mean to bash doctors, but doctors are not trained in nutrition. So going to your doctor and asking about nutrition in most cases is not going to be very helpful because they don't know about it. They haven't trained in it. Many of them don't even believe that nutrition plays a role in, in health. So it's it's not really a good source. So first you have to look at where people are even getting the idea of what diet they should follow. That's number one. Number two, there's always a fad diet going on. You know, for a long time, it was always low-fat. Now it's switched to low-carb. And in the name of that, uh, you know, there's things like ketogenic is a particularly low-carb, high-fat diet. Um, Atkins, The Zone, Weight Watchers. I mean, you know, we all know there's a million diets out there. Uh, The fact is, is that there isn't one that's going to be the right one for everyone the, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading about <clears throat> the ketogenic diet lately, because it's highly um, promoted in terms of cancer. And it would also probably be highly promoted uh, in in terms of some of the um, well, I don't know with PCOS, but at least it's low carb. So I don't know if yes. you recommend it for your yeah,
0: patients you, you do start with it. Um, it's not I don't feel I mean, some people can do it long term, but it's it's tough. It's a tough one to do long term, I think. So the goal is weight loss. And the-
1: well, see that's the problem. It's a it's a tough one to do short term. I mean, the whole thing about a ketogenic diet, and I'm actually on a group right now, and it's amazing to me to to read what people are saying in this group, um, a ketogenic diet Means, I mean, it's very, it's all about being very low carbohydrate and high in fat. And people think it's high in protein. It's not. It's meant to be high in fat. The ketogenic diet actually uh, has been used extensively in terms of treating children with epilepsy because uh, the process of making ketones in your body seems to cross the blood-brain barrier and it's good for your brain. But that's actually the medical and therapeutic foundation of a ketogenic diet. It's caught on and it's really popular right now in fitness and, you know, people who are into, uh, particularly men who are into weightlifting. it's a very popular diet. But like with anything... That, you know, there's a time and place for that. It's not the best for everyone. And my biggest problem with the ketogenic diet is it's really difficult to follow. So if you're not following a ketogenic diet, which means that you've got, you know, I mean, you're testing every day to see if you have ketones in your urine. And if you're not in ketosis, which is what you're trying to do, you're trying to switch your body into a mode of burning fat as opposed to burning sugar in your body for energy that releases ketones unless you're in ketosis and doing that, you are essentially, you know, you could you could be working against your best interest because then you're eating high fat and high carbohydrate. If you're not in ketosis, the benefit, you're not going to get the benefit of a high fat diet meant to put you in ketosis. You know, and it's it's just a very, it's a very specific diet. It's not one that you just jump into. I, I think most people need to study and really learn about it. And yet it's so popular that I, I tell you I get people five, 10 times a week saying, oh, I'm gonna go on a ketogenic diet. It's like, do you know anything about it? The fact is is it's a really, it's probably one of the most restrictive and difficult diets there is to follow, although it's popular. I think for many people, <clears throat> certainly our clients, you can get very much the same benefit that you're looking to get from a ketogenic diet, which is improved blood sugar control, improved insulin uh, response and sensitivity, and losing weight in inches by eating a low-carbohydrate diet, So, yet yeah, which is still uh, something that you need to learn about and something that you need to be very conscious of. But following a low-carbohydrate, um, whole-food-based diet is something that most people... Can reach a lot easier uh, than putting yourself in a state of ketosis. So that's, you know, that's, there's always a fad diet right now, the popular diet is um, the ketogenic diet. But even bigger than that, um, I'm trying to uh, keep this succinct. But even bigger than that, um, the fact is, is that every diet you go on is going to work to a certain degree, and they're all going to fail to a certain degree, because it's a diet. And, And you go on and off diets. And so you may lose weight, but you very likely may gain it back. And my concern is that if you just pick a diet to go on, and you're not looking at these emotional factors that go into why you're eating what you're eating, and why you what happens when you're out of control, it doesn't matter what diet you go on, they're all going to fail. You know, the more Conscious you can be, the more aware you can be of your own habits, the more you can, you know, kind of release and walk away from things and feel, instead of feeling like you have to give it up, the more likely you are to make it a permanent change that you can be successful with over time. And once again, coming back to the emotional eating, um, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm particularly interested in working with people who have had weight loss surgery, which is considered the magic bullet and the holy grail of weight loss. Even then, and especially then, that is a physical change to deal with a problem that is emotionally based. Because eating food to the point that you carry enough weight that you need to have surgery to restrict your physical ability to eat is, to me is the classic definition of having an emotional eating dysfunctional relationship with food. And I was one of those people. I went through gastric surgery, I lost weight, and, you know, still struggle with, um, still have to do the same things I would have to do, even if I hadn't had the gastric surgery, but I still struggle with weight. It's not, it's not about the diet. It's about understanding your relationship to the food. And, and so I think with any of these, it, I work with people around the whole um, cognitive-based issue about uh, looking at food, the relationship with food. Um, And and as you talked about at the very beginning, I find this comes up when I ask people to just write down what they've been eating. Uh, Every new client that I see, I have a bunch of intake paperwork that I send them. And I also send them uh, a form that's a three-day food log, just tell me what you ate. You know, if it's best for me to know what you eat before you come in to see me. And, and almost to a person that form is never filled out. It doesn't matter what they're coming in for. And it's not anything critical. I don't have any judgment in it. It's just sort of an FYI. And and yet it's the hardest thing to get people to do is to fill that out. Because immediately they have feelings of shame, guilt, you know, oh, well, I ate it, but I'm not going to write it down. Or, you know, it's just, and I to me, that's just an indication that you could have, you come into my office and you have a perfect body, but if you can't be conscious enough to write down what you ate without guilt or shame, there's a deeper issue there than what diet you're following. It's once again, looking at that emotional connection and the emotional relationship with food. And I don't think that you get a free pass on that if you're a thin person. And it only applies if you're a heavier person. I think it applies to everyone.
0: That's just, uh, I couldn't have said it better. And I think that, you know, Especially when we're coming up on the holidays, like we talked about before, even if it's a birthday party, if it's so many things can derail you, we actually do a lot of genetic testing with our patients with PCOS, and nine times out of ten, the genetic testing will say that genetically, you're actually meant to have a low-carb diet. So we just got that result so many times that we actually just stopped testing <laughs> because we said, you know what, it's going to come back low carb and these are the recommendations. But having someone that you go to and that you're accountable to, I think that that's so important. And that's what I love about what you do is that you're helping women be accountable. And and so many times, it's just so many roadblocks and things that even, even our, our family and our friends are, are not helpful when we're trying and struggling to lose that weight. So I think well it comes is, back to
1: the yeah. shame and the and you know sometimes it's your family that's putting you in you know kind of an emotional place that you react I mean there's a lot of stuff I know when I'm around I don't you know i've I've got some pretty crazy dynamics but I, when I'm around my sister and I see what kind of stuff she eats I mean and it goes back to comfort food and things that are familiar oh my god it's it's a huge trigger in and of itself you know it's it's um family is not and and not to mention it's 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 one of those things that I don't really know if I have an explanation for it, but sometimes family isn't your it's like on one hand they want you to you know they're critical of you, but then when you start having success, they're not particularly supportive or helpful it, it, it's it can be a very mixed bag. It was sort of like when i um I had a gastric band, and afterwards you know I mean believe me, I put up with a lot of um, uh discrimination around my weight a lot, and yet when I was losing weight, people would be like, oh. But that's such a cop out. I can't believe you're doing it that way. It was like, what difference does it make to you how I'm losing weight? What, what, possible difference could it make but people get really weird and they get really weird around food and particularly if it's the holidays and you're not eating the jello mold that was made just for the holidays and you just say no thank you that's not good enough i I think weight watchers calls them food pushers you know it's like here a little bit more have a bite of this you're too skinny you know you could be 50 pounds overweight but if you're 10 pounds less than you were they're telling you you're too skinny it's a it's a really mixed bag it's really it's really tough
0: how do we deal with the uh, with the pressure and uh, that sort of thing during the holidays, and also just around family? What, what advice would you give?
1: Well, it's, it's really funny. I I just have been working um, on a on a guide. It's it's called the Holiday Survival Guide, and I'm going to actually be putting it on my website uh, in a few days to kind of help people with this. And I think a lot of it is just. Um, uh some of the things that we've talked about, for one thing, you know, acknowledge if you're going into an emotionally loaded situation, if you can't stand your, I don't know, your mother-in-law And, you know, Christmas dinners at her house, that's going to be an emotionally loaded situation. So, you know, there are things to do, um, you know, like, for one thing, acknowledge that it's going to be difficult, you know, particularly with politics these days, try to get out of any political conversations. You know, if you're going with friends or family, have, you know, pick an ally and somebody that you can talk to and say, wow, if you see this, you know, help me out here. And, you know, pull me away from the, you know, the, the, the cheesecake or, or whatever it is. So I think going in with some strategies is kind of the most straightforward thing to do. Um, understand that, you know, there's going to be office parties and stuff uh, that are that are tempting. One of the things that I do is when you go to a buffet, the first thing I do is look around and decide the top three things that I want to, to have because it's really easy to just take everything because it's there. But, you know, try to be conscious and really make the choices of what's going to feel good and, you know, get smaller servings on smaller plates and go back f- for seconds if you need to. But, you know, just some really conscious behavioral kind of things. The The other thing that I think is really important is realize you're not going to be perfect. You're going to have cake. You're going to have candy. You're going to have things that maybe you shouldn't have. I, I once heard somebody Talk about it, she's like, it's sort of like falling downstairs. Like, if you trip down the stairs in the morning, it's not like, oh, I fell today, so I'm going to fall every day this week, every time I go down the stairs you know but that's how people approach food oh well you know i cheated this morning so you know my diet's blown doesn't matter what i eat for the rest of the day if you if you have something or you know if you eat something that you know that isn't what you wanted or you know it, it or you did want it and it's not in your eating plan just just accept the fact that you did it and you know in your next meal Get back to eating the way that you want to. I mean, even if it's a holiday party, that's only one party. That's only one, one food experience. It's not, it doesn't mean you have to eat the same way at breakfast the next day, you know, or lunch. So, you know, there's going to, it's, it's a time where there's more food than we could ever imagine. So just allow the fact that there's going to be times that you can sit there and say, yeah, I know I shouldn't have it, but I really want it. Well, if that's the case, then have it. Have a, have a, portion of it. Enjoy every bite of it. If it's, you know, I don't know if it's cheesecake or chocolate. Enjoy every bite and then put it away and get back on track on your next meal. It was, it's just one experience. But people have this mentality of like, oh my God, I'm off my diet now. So it doesn't matter. And I'm just going to eat everything you know, until New Year's. And that's when you get into the fact that you've gained 10 pounds, you don't feel good about yourself, your energy's bad, you know and I mean? I think those are the things that are really important is how do you feel? Does it give you indigestion? Do you feel bloated and lethargic? And, you know, a lot of times the food that we're eating, we're not even paying attention to how it makes us feel. But even if you, you know, do have something that, you know, wouldn't be considered to be on your diet, just have it and enjoy it and get over it you know, and, and don't beat yourself up about it. I know that's easier said than done, but people do a lot of head trips on themselves around food. That's,
0: yeah, just don't beat yourself up over, Right, right. Yeah, you know,
1: some pecan pie. <laughs> and <laughs> ma- and ha- make it make a it slice better. of pecan pie. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I heard a uh, somebody at a, at a nutrition conference a few years ago said that when you eat chocolate, once again, going back to that mindfulness, but you can be craving like, you know a, a piece of chocolate cake but your taste buds after about the third bite actually get desensitized to it so it's actually that first three bites that taste outstanding and after that if you really pay attention and check in like am i still enjoying this like like is this still a 10 on a 1 to 10 scale and you're halfway through the cake and the answer is no then it's like okay you know wait until you haven't had it for a while and then have another one to three bites and really enjoy it, but just make sure you're enjoying it, you know, and not beating yourself up. Or what's, what seems to be really common is to be at the party or the dinner and, you know, be restricting yourself, feel like, okay, I made it through that and then go home and then binge, you know, once you get home. And there's no one around to see you. That seems to be a pretty common pattern, too. And um, so, you know, once again, if that's what's happening, you know, just try to be mindful of it. And I know it's a horrible thing to say, but keeping a journal, you know, writing down like, oh, my God, you know, I, I, you know, I was full halfway through the time, you know, and I still kept eating. Good to know. Next time, maybe you'll be a little bit more aware of that. And you'll stop eating before you've eaten everything once you know you're already full it's just you know we just live in such a cycle of um guilt and shame and and condemning ourselves that the more we can be conscious and get out of that critical space i think the better you can be about making well, choices that support where you want to be
0: and knowledge it's been wonderful and it seems like time has just flown by but we're already at the end so i i just i would love to help we we'll get in touch with you so how could they find you
1: well, great. Thanks for asking. My website is mindbodynutritionrn.com. And um, I always love getting emails and I respond to all emails and I can be reached at radicalhealthrn. Wait a minute, radicalhealthrn at gmail.com. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I this is something that I'm um, passionate about, and something that I work with people about. And um, would if any of your listeners, you know, want to send a a question or a comment or whatever, I'd love okay, to hear well, from them.
0: I, I am so thankful for you being on my third episode, and I uh, I can't wait to. Yes, I, I uh, Deborah is coming out with a podcast herself. So for anyone of you that have members in your uh, or friends or family members with breast cancer. Or who have gone through the diagnosis and are recovering, Deborah will be uh, having her her own show soon, and I just can't wait to to hear that because there's just she's just so full of knowledge every time we talk. I I learn something new every time. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Have a great night and enjoy your cake, but don't enjoy it too much, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the first three Your first three bites. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the PCOS Revolution podcast. Be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram to join in the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the PCOS Revolution, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next
0: time, beautiful ladies.